Hey everyone, welcome to the Health with Purpose podcast. My name is Sume and I'll be your host. Today on the podcast, our guest is Alan Masson. She is an exercise physiologist who practices in the northern suburbs of Sydney and is incredibly passionate about the health at every size movement. She's also someone who has really challenged my thinking around weight loss and someone who has inspired me to be um, to show up as my most authentic self because she's so, so incredibly lovely and comfortable in her own skin. It absolutely inspires me. So let's welcome Ellen onto the podcast. Hi, Ellen. Hey, Sue. Thank you for having me. That was a very lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that from the bottom of my heart, though. Oh, thank you. Uh, I want to clarify as well that I'm not always comfortable in my own skin. I've just gotten better at tolerating it. <laughs> oh, you're doing a really good job. And I think, um, <laughs> I don't think we ever arrive at a destination in life. It's it's always about constantly trying to be better and striving to improve ourselves. Yeah. I think so I think you never, I think you never get to a point where you're like a hundred percent comfortable with yourself, but I think we learn to accept ourselves. And I think that's what people should strive for, not perfection, because that doesn't exist. That's right. Okay. So um, what we wanted to start with was I'd like you to, if you could, if you're comfortable, um, share with us a little bit about what makes you so passionate about weight neutrality and health at every size. Where does one start? <laughs> I think I I'm going to do. I think, um, <laughs> I think maybe um, defining what health at every size means just in, in, in lay terms for the people that have never heard the term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to start off with uh, health at every size or the Hayes movement is about giving everyone the equal opportunity to access health regardless of their size. Now you might think that that should just be happening now, but it's not. Uh, we have people who are in larger bodies seeking care who are, um, constantly having judgments made on their bodies or are just told to lose weight when it might not have much relevance to the condition that they're presenting with. Weight really becomes the focus of the consult rather than the person. And Hayes is all about allowing people to have access to health without the pursuit of weight loss being a factor. Yeah. So what you're saying is that, um, people are able to achieve good health outcomes um, without necessarily losing weight. Yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, the interesting thing as well is that you don't necessarily, there's an assumption that weight loss is inherently positive. And Hayes acknowledges the fact that sometimes pursuing weight loss can actually cause negative health outcomes and focusing on other health promoting behaviors will have better long-term outcomes for any individual, regardless of what their size is. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a huge myth, isn't it? Because it's, it's one of those things where whenever we get referred, whenever you get referred from GPs, you know, when GPs refer their patients to an exercise physiologist, it's always almost like hundred percent 
like because of weight loss and weight loss is such mm-hmm. a huge focus in the medical industry um and and yeah a lot of people feel like they need to look a certain way for them to be healthy but the truth is that some of the skinniest people that you see like no don't necessarily have the best health um yes yeah yes there, there's an assumption um I think it comes down to a lot of the times because our physical appearance is something that we can actually see. You can't see someone's physical activity. You can't see someone's um, blood work, you know, just by looking at them. You can't see their sleep quality. You can't see their mental health status. So we've attached a whole bunch of health-related outcomes to appearance because what we can see. It allows us to make a judgment about someone. And that's the inherent issue is that you're judging someone before you have any actual tangible information about them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super interesting because I definitely have my own biases as well. When I see someone who's who's skinny, I immediately assume that, oh, they probably exercise X amount of times a week, or they they probably eat this, have this sort of diet. And then on the other side of the spectrum as well, when you see someone who's heavier, immediately, you know, you think, oh, they probably, you know, eat junk, a lot of junk food, they don't exercise as much. And it's just, it's not true. Mm. It, it, can't be true until you ask the person, which is why I have this, you know, I find it very interesting when people, you know, they assume, let's take someone who's really skinny. If I had, if I was sitting in a consult with someone and they looked like they had like a BMI of like 22 and was just quite slender and didn't look like they had any fat on them. And if they asked me, like, I really want to lose weight, Well, you know, and if they were asking you that because they're so skinny, would you go, oh, you know, maybe, maybe this, I've got to check some of these things. It doesn't make sense to me that she wants to lose weight because she's already quite small. You know, you start having that conversation with yourself. Maybe there's something else going on here that I need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. But the same thing doesn't happen for someone who's in a larger body. So if someone in a larger body says, I want to lose weight, we as health professionals, because we're conditioned to think that weight loss is always positive, straight away we're like, awesome, yes, weight loss, calorie deficit, exercise, dietitian, done. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's get on. Because, you know, we're conditioned to think that, oh, of course they should be losing weight because they're so large or they're in a bigger body, you know, and there's no other secondary questions that get asked to find out if weight loss is going to be positive for them and maybe what risks could be associated with a weight loss attempt if they go down this path you know it's not individualized care yeah and i'd like to speak a little bit more about the risk of focusing on weight loss but we're kind of going a little bit on a tangent here so let's pull back a little bit because i kind of want i love it i love a good tangent (laughs) i know you love it um so I, I kind of wanted to just de- delve in a little bit more about um, what drives you to be passionate about haze or health at every size. Mm. Okay. So I might ask you this question after I tell my story, Sue. So we'll come back to it. Okay. But, 
A question I really like asking my clients is what is the first comment you remember being made about your body? And when was the first time you realized people could judge you based on what you looked like? And for me, that moment is like ever sizzled into my brain. Um, I was in, I already had bad sort of body image, but I hadn't gotten to the point where I realized that people could actually judge you based off it. And I, we had a mufti day and I chose to wear a pair of shorts to mufti and a guy walked up to me and he sort of said, Oh, you shouldn't be wearing those. Your legs are too big. And that moment was the first moment I was like, Oh, Oh, there's something wrong with me. And it's, it's what I look like. That's why people don't like me. Uh, And that memory, you know, I was in year nine, I was 15 years old at the earliest. And that set off a pattern of behavior for me personally that led to a very, very destructive eating disorder eventually. Um, You know, my first memory as well of like food stuff was, you know, I played a lot of netball and basketball and, you know, I had three brothers and I used to run around all the time with them. I was very active and I used to play like soccer and uh, stuff like that with the boys at school. So I was very active. And I remember when I used to go down and visit my grandparents, my grandparents used to make comments about how much I was eating. They used to say, Oh, Ellen, like they would encourage the boys to go eat more, but they would be like, Ellen, I think you should stop. You've had enough. Like you don't want to be eating more. Um, And you know, all these things, these experiences we have when we're children, they really they just really define us as we become adults. Um, And for me, you know, over the next couple of years, I started to develop a very, very um, unhealthy relationship with food because I felt at the time that if I was just skinnier, people would like me and maybe I would fit in more if I was smaller then, you know, I started to become very controlling with my food. I went through a period where I basically like only ate tomato soup for like a couple of months and lost a fuck ton of weight. Obviously then when I returned back to eating normal food, I gained all that weight back again. Uh, after I tried that and that didn't work, I started uh, over-exercising. So I used to just go to the gym and run on a treadmill for like hours just to punish myself. Um, and I started to develop this very negative um, negative cycle where I would engage in food that I really wanted and then I would feel really guilty about it. And then I would try and sort of compensate for it somehow. And at the time it was over-exercising and then restricting my food. And then eventually I can't do that anymore. So the cycle begins again. And it wasn't very long until my over-exercising turned into uh, purging. So I developed pretty bad bulimia. But you've got to understand that, you know, it took from that comment that that person made about my legs, it took another 10 years for me to get to the, the point where I had 
a clinical eating disorder. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this area is because I want to catch the person after four years. I don't want them to get to 10 years and for them to have to go through what I had to go through to try and get better. Some people don't make it. Some people just take their lives. They just end it. You know, like I don't, I want to be someone I can get in front of people at the point before they get to where I was and try and steer them back on the right track. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Ellen. I know, I know that that was, that must have been, you know, quite difficult for you to share. Um, And just listening to that story, it, it, you know, I can, I can also relate to your experiences um, in terms of um, people making comments and weight cycling, over-exercising. Those are things that I've also personally done myself um, throughout the years. And I think it's incredible that, you know, you get all this passion based on your personal experience. And I think that just makes your work so much more meaningful. Um, When you're working with clients, it really does. It's like that driving force to, to help other people get to a place where they're in a better headspace and so they don't have to necessarily go through what you have for such a long period of time. And that, that's, that's incredible. Hmm. Um, Do you mind if I add one extra thing? Yeah, go for it. I think like if we, if we go back to that sort of example of like, uh, there's this misunderstanding that, you know, symptoms don't progress for people. So, you know, depending on what environment you're in, uh, you know, you're not going to stay stagnant. You're going to progressively get, if you have bad body image and you have a bad relationship with food and, you know, your diet cycling, you will get worse over time. It's just a, it's just a matter of time before you get to the other end of the spectrum. Um, it, is, it is destructive in its nature. And the real problem is, is that we live in a society that perpetrates this, that encourages this destructive behavior and they make it out that it's normal and something that should be glorified. Um, And that is the, the real issue we face because how are we supposed to survive? How are we supposed to flourish as humans in a society uh, and context that's trying to do us damage? I completely agree with you. Everywhere I I go, I hear people talking about, oh, I shouldn't eat this. It's bad for me. Or, mm. um, you know, just any sort of comments about like looks, weight, good food, bad food, um, restricting your eating. Like it's so, yeah. it's so prominent everywhere. Like celebrities talk about it. It's all over Instagram. It's just... It's on the movies. You can't get away from it. Even when I was listening to the radio the other day, they were also talking about um, talking about weight-related stuff, about how, oh, with COVID, everyone's put on weight, um, everyone's more depressed. And yeah, you just hear it everywhere that you know an increase in weight um, means you're probably worth less or 
you know, like everyone's kind of attaching their self-worth to how much, um, what the numbers are on the scale. And that's, that's incredibly scary. Uh, and a, yeah, a great thing you highlighted there is the, um, the idea that we then put our value as a human based onto our appearance. And then we try and control our fear around that by manipulating our body. So we're worried people won't accept us. And then we channel that into our body image and we try and control that by changing our weight and doing all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately the real issue is not often with the way you look. It's about how you perceive yourself. You perceive yourself as being unlovable. You perceive yourself as not being able to be accepted. Uh, you perceive yourself as fragile and, and that goes into your body. Um, and it's interesting because we sort of have perpetrated this idea that, you know, if I'm just, you know, smaller, I'll feel better and I'll be more accepted because that's what all of these medias are telling me. But, you know, even for people who do maybe eventually achieve their target weight for the 10% of people that that's viable for, I can tell you as someone who used to, you know, who like through my eating disorder, my weight fluctuated. I had really weird weight goals. You get to that weight you always wanted to be and you feel nothing. You don't feel anything. You don't feel happy. You don't feel satisfied because the issue was always with how you perceived yourself. It was never really with how you actually looked. When you first shared that with me um, about how even though you were at your lightest, you know, weight in your entire life, you still weren't happy with yourself. It was something that I was like, wow, I never really thought of it that way because everyone naturally thinks like, oh, I'll be happy when I hit 50 kilos. I'll be happy when I get rich. I'll be happy when I get that mm. Ferrari. I'll be happy when I get that really beautiful wife, that really beautiful husband, what, whatsoever. And people are just like, you know, they don't realize that actually it's not that. It's like, you just need to be happy within yourself first. It's, it's all about you. Mm. It's not about something else. Because I've heard the exact same mm. story as well from another from another um, good friend of mine that she was um, she was at the lightest weight that she, she had ever been. She was getting compliments, a lot of external validation from other people saying like, wow, you look amazing. Wow, you look so good. And same thing. She said she felt numb on the inside. She didn't feel happy. Um, and I also think the problem about basing your self-worth on how you look is that then what happens in 20 years time when you get wrinkles? What happens in 10 years time when you get, um, when you're pregnant and then you get all these stretch marks or your body changes, then what? Like if, if a hundred percent of your self-worth is based on how you look, um, then that's not really sustainable, is it? Because as soon as your looks change, then what happens? Your self-worth goes down the drain, right? Mm. I really, um, that's a really interesting point, Sue. I really liked that, you know, you know, I'll be happy when X scenario that you gave. Like, 
oh, you know, when I'm 50 kilos, I'll be happy. Or, you know, when I'm out of pain, I'll be happy or whatever it is, Mm. right? You know, the person's putting their life on hold in order to try and get something that they think that they will make them happy. When the reality is we've got to try and be happy now. Uh, And you could be chasing something that's unachievable. Like for a lot of people, they've been dieting, you know, I, I always ask um, my clients, you know, when was the first time you remember being on a diet? And for the majority of people, at the earliest, it's like 10, 10, 9 kind Jeez. of age. At the latest, it's 15, 16. There's like, that's how long a lot of people have been dieting for. And often I'm talking to women in their 30s, 40s, 50s who've been dieting and putting their life on hold for 30 plus years. You know, that's just absolutely insane to me. And I always like to think of it as, well, the reason why you might get to your smallest weight and you're still not satisfied is because you gave up your whole life to be there. Seeing your friends because you were scared of food. You you know, it damaged your partner or your relationship because you were always hard to be around because of everything that you were going through. You know, they gave up everything. And you've really got to ask yourself, what have you given up? And is it worth continuing down this pathway if you're just going to become more unhappy as a result? When are you actually going to start living your life? Boom. Hashtag. Live your life. (laughs) (laughs) But to be honest, like that's when, so like with a lot of eating disorders, and this is from my personal experience, it took me to reach a super, super dark point in order to seek out help. Because it wasn't until I was pretty much like, I don't want to say I was like full-blown suicidal, but I was definitely having a lot of suicidal ideation and I wasn't enjoying my life at all. I, um, I didn't see the point of being alive, in essence. I was just very much, you know, going through the motions. I was losing like, you know, lots of my weeks and days just to being, to binge purging in my house like on repeat so I was like a shell of a person and it took me I literally lost my whole life to to my eating disorder and it took me to that point to be able to finally reach out to another health professional and to go into recovery because it was so bad I could no longer justify it um not justify because it's not quite the word because you don't eating disorders are not a choice but I couldn't it was no longer of benefit to me. The reason I first developed the eating disorder, which was, you know, to help protect me and help me be skinny and all that kind of stuff. It had morphed into something else that was no longer useful to me. It was no longer allowing me to cope with what I was doing. And um, I really want to help people not have to wait till they get to the point where they're, they're uh, disordered eating and their relationship with food and their body image has gotten so bad that they've lost their entire life. I want to try and catch people a little bit earlier on when they're already going down that rabbit hole, but just to have someone go, Hey, like 
do you really want to end up over here? Do you really want to lose your whole life? Um, that's a bit of a, a round wind story, but <laughs> we got there. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, thank you so much for sharing that because I think even just listening to that myself, I feel like I, I don't feel alone in this journey. I feel like a lot of other women as well would resonate with your story because so many people do the exact same thing, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Like it's just, it's just perpetuating in our society. And, and I think something needs to be done for us to create a more sustainable change moving forward because clearly this is this is not working telling people to just lose yeah. weight or commenting on people's weight is just not something that's that's helping people live their best lives or helping people live fulfilling lives um we're torturing ourselves so i think more people need to hear this message and um i suppose like recognize as well what are the risks associated into uh, uh, around weight loss so like um yeah could you share with us a little bit more about um what some of the risks are of focusing on just weight loss mm -hmm. my pleasure this is my favorite topic unbeknownst <laughs> <laughs> to sue yay uh, okay so i want to liken this to start off with to um you know as for any health professional you know, when you go and you're going to take a medication or you're going to have surgery, you have the right to know the pros and the cons. You need to know the risks in order to make an informed consent and an informed choice. And my biggest problem with weight loss currently, I can't control what an individual does, but I have a massive problem with the risks not being given to people when they make they choose to pursue weight loss because they're not giving informed consent to what they're about to do. They don't have all of the information. So I just wanted to make that just abundantly clear to start off with. So the biggest risk factor for um, eating for eating disorders is being on a diet. So what we know is that dieting and uh, repeated diet cycles increases your preoccupation with food, your preoccupation with your body. So you start, you know, obsessing over things like obsessing over calories or obsessing over certain kinds of food or thinking about when you're going to eat and what you're going to eat and how you're going to eat it and avoiding things maybe to not um, eat certain things and, you know, becoming more uh, fixated on your body looking at your body more, examining it more. Maybe you start touching it and feeling it to figure out whether bits of it have changed or not. And that gives you a bit of comfort. You know, all of these things are signs of disordered eating and disordered body image. And as these get worse, the more diets you go on, the more intense these behaviors become, the more they start interrupting with your everyday ability to do things as you become more disordered and you get closer and closer to developing a clinical eating disorder. So the biggest risk factor for disordered, for eating disorders is being on a diet and repeated diet cycles. And that's not something that's talked about much. So if you're someone 
and you know you as a practitioner or you as a person thinking about going on weight loss if you already start to feel like you have a bad relationship with food if you have poor self-esteem and poor body image that is a red flag for going on a diet you should not do it to yourself because you're putting yourself at risk um, for developing an eating disorder so that's one of the really big ones um, dieting is very what's the right word psychologically distressing i think is the right word so because dieting causes you to really rapidly change a lot of your life and avoid doing things you love potentially you know it starts becoming a psychological psychological distress and what we know is a massive risk factor for going on a diet is increased psychological distress increased rates of depression increased anxiety levels um, just to name a few, because the whole process is a stress on your mind as well as your body. And I think that's something that people forget. And I think the third big one would be chronic dieting. So people don't realize that often when you're weight cycling, so you're going on a diet, you're losing a bit of weight, you're jumping off the diet uh, and you gain the weight back and you just repeat this, what actually ends up happening is that you gain weight over time. So you will tend to increase your weight. And it's really interesting because when we've looked at studies, you know, over a five year period, the people who diet and the people who don't diet, they both end up in the same spot at the very end, despite the fact that the people who've been dieting be doing, trying to do it over a five year period and it's caused them all this distress. Whereas if they just hadn't done anything, they would have been in exactly the same place anyway. And I find that uh, really confronting personally. So I think that this kind of information is really important to give to people because they can make their own choices. If you still want to pursue weight loss, that's fine. I can't do anything about that. And it's your life. You get to choose but we have to really make known the risks of doing something like this so people can make an informed choice. I think it's interesting how you say that. It, it's really true that um, health professionals, you know, GPs or yeah, just health professionals in general, when it comes to weight loss, we don't um, explain the risks um, off weight loss to anyone whereas like for example if you go into surgery or you're going for a steroid injection or something it's like legally they have an obligation to tell the patient that the hey these are the risks and these are the benefits it's up to you to, to choose because yeah like the patient needs to know all the information laid out on the table for them to be able to make an informed decision um so yeah, yeah, I think I think it needs to be made more. How do you say? Like made more compulsory, maybe for for health professionals yeah, to disclose to to um to people. Hey, or even personal trainers, because I think personal trainers and exercise physiologists are probably the top two people who see a lot of clients who say, "Hey, like weight loss is my main goal." Um, yeah, maybe perhaps like you know, institutions like the university or even the personal trainers associations or colleges need to be training, um, yeah, the, the clinicians or to, to ask that question or to be able to disclose that type of information to patients before 
going onto that journey of weight loss before making that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's something that should be mandatory. And I think that um, it's, I think it's interesting because again, it kind of goes back to if you're in a larger body, we make the assumption that weight loss is good for you. And we don't even bother to ask an extra question. So they come, okay, I want weight loss. They're in a larger body. So the professional's like, fine. But do they really want weight loss? Like, you know, what, what's underneath that? You know, you might find that if you ask a couple of questions, you might find out that that person actually wants, you know, more confidence in themselves and in their body because they feel extreme shame and guilt about themselves at the moment. Right. Is weight loss going to help them in that circumstance? You know, I think we can't really help people until we understand them. And I think that there's just a lot of judgments and assumptions made around when people say that they want to lose weight because we tie weight loss up in a lot of things. It's not necessarily always an indicator that they physically want to change their body. Yeah. So, so potentially one of the things that the listeners could do um, or one of the questions that they could ask themselves is um, why do I want to lose this weight? And, and, you know, delving a little bit deeper themselves to figure out, is it really about the weight or is it something else? And, and I think from hearing what you're saying, a lot of the times your clients, when you delve deep with them, it's usually something else other than the weight. Is that right? I would say that it's either, for me, this is a very broad categorization, but I like to see it falls into two camps normally. It falls into the, I want to be healthier camp, or it falls into the appearance camp where it's like, you know, for some reason changing their physical appearance, they think that it's going to bring them like a, like better self-esteem or better health or improve their ability to, to play with their kids or like their self-esteem that kind of stuff and they tie that up in their appearance um so it's normally either that it's either health or it's their appearance but often i find that appearance is a uh, is a camouflage for something else if that makes sense often to do with how they view themselves yeah so often like more to do with like insecurity or lack of self-esteem or maybe a lack of self-worth type thing that yeah. underpins it Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, I mean, it's one of those things where I kind of view it like, well, if you were happy with yourself, if we look at it from the other perspective, if you were really content with yourself and you were really secure, confident, happy, would you feel like you had to change your body? Like, no, probably not. That's what I tend to find. When I tend to ask people a question that's very similar to what a lot of EPs do for pain, which is, if weight wasn't a concern for you, what, how would your life be different? And I get the most saddest responses to this question. I get, I get responses like, I really love going out to dinner with my friends, but I feel such shame and guilt about eating nice food because of the body I'm in. It'd be really nice to not have to worry about that if I was smaller, you know, like, or, um, 
or just feeling like I, I wake up a lot of the time and I just feel disgusting, like inherently disgusting because of how big my body is. And I wouldn't like, I don't want to feel that way anymore. You know, like it's just, it's always stuff that really just like, it's just a lot of shame. It's often a lot of shame and guilt that people are carrying with them um, that they notice they're like, Oh, it'd be really good to not have X because I wouldn't feel as much shame and guilt about my existence as a person. Mm. And that really breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just listening to that, it, it sounds, it breaks my heart too to hear someone say that about themselves. Um, and I guess as someone who's been through that journey yourself and also as someone who knows the risk of dieting and, and focusing on weight loss, what advice would you give to people listening to this podcast on how they can move forward in a more like sustainable way of still, you know, getting the health outcomes that they want or maybe, yeah. How would you go about that? Um, so what we're starting to is really reflected in the research at the moment is that um, we want to focus on what's called a health promoting behavior in order to see positive outcomes for health. So weight loss in and of itself is not a health promoting behavior. Something that's a health promoting behavior is, you know, doing more physical activity or meeting your nutritional requirements or getting more sleep or addressing your mental health, you know, investing time in seeing a psychologist if that's needed. Um, or working out a way to decrease your stresses in your everyday life, if you can. You know, those kind of things, just to name a couple, I know smoking status, alcohol intake, are ways that you can move towards having a better health outcome. I really want to stress that health is multifactorial and there are like 15 different things I could list off that all impact health. And your weight does have a risk associated with it, but it's only one risk factor. And we're not actually even sure how modifiable it is. We don't even know how much control we have over it as a human. But what we are noticing is that the more we try and tackle weight loss, the more health-promoting behaviours you tend to let go of. But because you become so fixated on this thing, you start developing all of these negative health behaviours, which is why we don't want it to be the focus. It's a part of the puzzle, but it's not the only thing you can do in order to improve your health. Any of the things that I've listed, looking at taking a small step forward is ideal. Even if that's just, you know, you're not doing any physical activity at the moment, so maybe going for a walk once a week for 20 minutes is what where you're going to start and that's fantastic you're already one step closer to being more healthy you know it's not actually all that complicated but we like to make it out like it is so what you're saying is for people to focus more on just changing something small changing a particular health behavior and then letting i guess letting weight loss be a byproduct or whatever happens happens with my weight when I change my specific health behavior. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think that that's a really good way of putting it too. I think that the cool thing about, you know, weight is that, you know, when you let go of control of it, it's going to naturally do its thing. And it's probably going to change as you change. But when it settles somewhere, that's going to be where it feels comfortable being based on everything that you're doing. And it's going to be the weight that you can sustain really easily and that you don't need to fight yourself to be. So with health behavior, we're not, it's haze or the health at every size movement is not anti weight loss. They're anti the pursuit of weight loss. So they acknowledge that weight loss could happen as you start changing health behaviors, but it's not the target of the intervention. Yeah. And that's super interesting because if you don't mind, I'll share a personal experience with this of again, growing up, like I had a point in my life where again, eating vegetable soup, I don't know what's this thing is vegetable soup. You had tomato soup. I had mixed vegetable soup, but we both had soups. (laughs) Um, It's low cal, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So just eating vegetable soups and, and I remember taking my lunch to, um, to college. So this was the social aspect that was taken away from my life. Interestingly enough, I just realized it. So in college, I would bring like steamed corn and like my vegetable soup for lunch. And um, my college friends would be like, come, let's go eat together. And I'd be like, no, I have this lunch. And so I just eat it on my own and then like join them after or something. Cause the food that they'd be eating would be more high calorie. And I didn't want to eat that. And you know, mm. that took away from me socializing with my friends. Mm. Um, and interestingly enough, now I'm at this point in my life where I eat chocolate whenever I want. I, I eat whatever I want. And I've managed to just enjoy life and not worry so much more about my weight and just enjoy movement. So doing the things that I love, going to the gym, going for dance class, going for outdoor walks, hikes, and just not focusing too much on calorie intake as much as I used to. And naturally I'm sitting at this weight and maintaining it pretty well. I would say that, you know, sometimes I've even lost weight and not even worrying about it. Whereas when I kept looking at the scales every day or every week, I'd be pretty frustrated at myself because I'd be like, oh my God, I've been trying so hard. Why is the weight not falling off? And then there were times in my life where I wasn't even trying and the weight was falling off. And I was like, this is, this is just weird. Like, mm. you know, um, it's like the it's less almost you like try. you don't actually have that much control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, okay, I'll just let it go. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting that experience that you had because you're so right. It's like, um, you know, you have, you have, it's like those two situations, right? Where we assume that if we exert more control, we're going to get a better result. But the opposite is almost true in the, in the context of weight, where it's like, you can just let it go and probably weigh the same as someone who was toxic dieting the entire time, you know? And, and the person who was dieting may even be worse off at the end because of the effects of chronic dieting. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting and it's super interesting to hear your observation there. And I can relate to it as well that without having to try, you're kind of just hovering within a certain range. And I think that this leads into a conversation about, I don't know if you know much about set point theory, 
which is the idea that the human body, every human body has a kind of range that likes to sit in. And that if you try and like, if you like eat a lot, as you might gain some weight on the scale, but if you return to what your normal eating habits are, then it will just go back to that point because your body likes sitting there. And one of the areas of Hayes is that uh, with set point theory, the belief is that, you know, as you start engaging in health promoting behaviors, your body will naturally find its set point. And that, you know, it could be more than you weigh right now, could be less than you weigh right now, could be the same. But your body will find a range and it's considered two kilos down, two kilos up. That's a stable range for your body that it likes to hold. And, you know, as the opposite experience for Sue, when I started going into recovery and I had to eat more, (laughs) uh, I gained like 20, I'm 20 kilos heavier than what I used to be. You know, I, I gained a lot of weight to find my set point. Um, and, you know, I'm in a range at, like that I used to think was like a terrifying concept for me to be in, but this is like where my body naturally is and I can go out and have a massive dinner out with my friends and, and drink and, and, and do whatever I want really within reason, obviously. <laughs> and my body sort of, my body still just sort of stays in that range. You know, it stays in, it stays in that stable point for me, but I had to gain a lot of weight to find that you know so it's different for everyone and and as someone who has gone through all that and now that you're 20 kilos heavier than you were say a few years ago when you're going through that journey yes how how do you feel in your own body at the moment uh yeah look it's interesting uh so uh, you know in 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 the spirit of transparency Um, I still don't have like, I wouldn't say I love my body. I wouldn't use those words. I would say that I accept my body and that, you know, I can accept it and still want to nourish it without loving it or being in love with it. I think sometimes the body positive movement makes it out like you have to love your body, uh, but that's not true. You don't have to love your body. You just need to accept it and accept that it will change and that except that it doesn't represent you as a person, you know, your body is yours, but it, your body isn't you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I would definitely say like what you pointed out too, that I'm much happier now than I was when I was a lot smaller, when I was at my lowest weight, which would have been God, almost like probably like 30 kilos lighter than what I am now, uh, which is insane. I was just such a shell of a person, you know, like I didn't love myself. I had nothing to live for. Uh, My life was like a, a very tiny shell. And while I still have thoughts now about wanting to be smaller, because it's something that I'm always going to have, we're not going to get rid of those thoughts. We're always going to have them. But now I know I'm like, I can sit there and go, it's not worth the life that I have to do that. And that's sort of where I'm at with it. I accept myself and I'm happy with it. I still 
think about being smaller, but I know what I have now is so much more valuable than what I had then. I have a a much more fuller life now and I wouldn't trade that to be any size. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like currently you're, you're living life more in accordance to your values. Um, There's more meaning to, to life than, than previously. And even though you're still having those, those thoughts, you're able to accept where you are in your journey at the moment and, and, and not struggle, not struggle with the situation. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's taken a long time. I never thought that I would get to this point where I am at the moment. Um, I'm actually, yeah, I'm very, I'm very grateful Mm. (laughs) Uh, because I know, I know I just, I was just so like, I just, yeah. And even, even a couple of things, like I never thought even when I was, you know, in recovery, like I never thought that, you know, getting to this point would be possible. Mm. Um, and, and I accepted a long time ago that I would always have, um, in recovery, we used to call it the eating disorder voice, which was the, like the abusive, like seductive style voice that would be like, Ooh, like, you know, you didn't eat breakfast today. You did so well. Like now, like don't eat lunch or, or like you're a piece of shit. No one loves you. Like if you weigh one more kilo, you're going to lose all your friends and you're going to be alone. Like, and I still have that voice, but it's a lot more quieter than it used to be. Mm. So. Mm. And, and I think, that's great that you're sharing that as well that 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 doesn't necessarily go away because I think we live in a society where people see things as black and white yes or no and it's like happy thoughts bad thoughts or you know like like the good thing vibes is, only yeah all good vibes only <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and, and you're right like like I I have the same thing too too I I, I know I didn't like I didn't get to that extent in terms of like eating disorder but I still do have those thoughts of like oh like on certain days I feel gross in my own body like these thoughts start to creep into my headspace and you know just like anything in life you're gonna go through ups and downs and and especially you know when you're lacking sleep or other areas of your life are affected you're gonna possibly be you know in um going to have less energy to potentially kind of accept these thoughts. And sometimes these thoughts are going to, Mm. you know, the, 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 the volume of the thoughts can change and fluctuate throughout your life. Maybe, you know, some days it'll be louder than others because you're just not feeling as great in your own body. And, and that's just something that we, we kind of go through as humans. It's, it's a normal human experience. We never completely get rid of, these thoughts in our head but I think just acknowledging them and sitting with them and creating a space for them to just be there instead of fighting them and struggling with them um, is probably helpful I agree I think that's a really uh, a great point Sue and things will fluctuate from time to time you know when you've had you know to be human is to feel certain things about yourself and not everything is positive and depending on what your 
stresses are, where you're at, what your tolerance is, how much distress you're currently able to cope with. It's going to impact you differently on different days. But as you get better at it, you'll be able to hold and take more distress. Your distress tolerance to this uh, to these thoughts will increase and your ability to sit with them even when they're really bad will increase as well so I think it's really important to just be kind to yourself in those moments and it's okay if you you know go through a phase where you know for three days you decide you're not going to eat chocolate because you just even though you want it you just feel like you can't do it at the moment that's okay because that's going to happen you know, that you're going to, you're going to regress back to behaviors that you used to have that you were holding for a long period of time. But then when it comes back down again, you'll be able to go, okay, you know, that happened. That's okay. I'm going to move on now. I'm not going to judge myself for it. We're just going to keep trying to build tolerance to this distress. That's right. Progress, not perfection. Yes. Yes. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Yeah. And just full disclosure, just because we talk about, you know, haze and things like that doesn't mean that we don't have those thoughts either. Like I go through days where I'm like, nope, I can't, I'm not going to eat chocolate for X amount of time because I'm punishing myself. And and like, it does come certain days. I'm like, nope, I'm going to run an extra kilometer because I ate, you know, fries yesterday or whatever. Like, but you know, like it's, it's a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's a constant work in progress and it's really nice that you mentioned that because, you know, just to, you know, make take an extreme example, um, like it, it took me, so I went into recovery and it took me a year to eventually stop binge purging every week. Mm. So like it took, it took a whole year of recovery before I made it one week where I didn't binge purge. And, you know, that was like, that was hard because, you know, it was like, it's sort of like, it's an extreme version of this where I was like trying to unpack everything that was going on in my head, but it wasn't, the behaviors were still there because how I was coping with everything that I was unpacking. Mm. But when I got to the end of the, that first year, it started to become less frequent. So it went from like once a month, once every two months. And then kind of now it turned into something where it's like, basically when I have a stressful situation I haven't experienced before and it's just far too overwhelming, I revert back to my ED behaviors because it's just too much. Mm. Um, But I've gotten to a place now where I don't sit in judgment of myself, which is what I used to do when I was really sick. I acknowledge the fact that I was really stressed out And that, you know, my body went back to a coping strategy it's used to deal with emotions and deal with stress for years of my life, you know, and, and that's okay. It did that. I'm not a bad person. Tomorrow, I'm going to just continue on my day and not judge myself. And I think that's the really important thing. If you revert back to former behaviors, like what you said, Sue, where it's like, oh, I ran that extra K because you know, I ate fries or we all, we, everyone has stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it, you're not a bad person for doing that. You didn't fail. That's mm-hmm. what I think that's the biggest important thing. The negative voices want an opportunity to tell you you failed because if they tell you you failed, it's going to start the cycle again. Yeah. Cause you're not good enough. 
And so every time it happens, it's really important for everyone to just try and let it go as much as possible and to not judge yourself. Mm -hmm. It -hmm. will get better over time. That's right. Be kind to yourself, everyone. I like to um, always ask myself this question on the days where I'm having a difficult, you know, difficult time um, with my mental headspace. You know, I always say, okay, what would my friend say to me? Because we're often so hard on ourselves. We would say things to ourselves that we would never mm-hmm. say to a family or a friend. And so I think it's important to take that step back and ask ourselves like, okay, if my best friend was here, what would they say to me in the situation? Mm. You know? Agreed. Awesome. Okay, Ellen, last question. I'm mindful Oops. of the time and... Um, <laughs> It's a Friday night, so you know I know you got to go party with a huge party down uh, at the pub. Party in my uh, on my couch <laughs> as I snuggle with the heater. With my partner's at home tonight with my sons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, just the last question to wrap things up. Um, what would you say would be three key takeaways that you would like people to take from this podcast? god damn um (laughs) i think the first one would be that weight does not equal health you are not your weight it literally has nothing to do with you you and your health it has risks associated with it but it's a drop in the ocean of what your actual health is it has risks associated with it just like being physically inactive has risks associated with it or having really shit nutrition has risk associated with it. It's no different to that. Mm-hmm. It's just one drop in the ocean. That's the first thing. Yep. The second thing would probably be to really, for people to really think about the, the judgments they make about people in larger bodies. I really want you to check yourself. Like if you see someone walking down the street and you kind of have a moment where you cringe a bit and you feel a bit disgusted by how large that person is, check yourself. Why are you having that reaction? Where does that come from? Really stop and try and uh, create some distance between the thoughts you're having about people in larger bodies and what the truth in reality actually is. And really start to question yourself on that. That's good homework. Mm -hmm. And the third thing would probably be about what we've just discussed. If you're trying to move away from being so centered on your weight and your appearance, it's a really tough process. I would really urge you to reach out to a haze aligned exercise physiologist, a haze aligned dietitian, and try and have some kind of professional support to help you through it. It's really hard to get through by yourself. Um, not saying you can't do it, but that would be my professional recommendation. And for anyone who is trying to step away from their appearance and weight, it's okay to not be perfect all the time. You're not going to be perfect all the time. Really try and let go of the idea of being perfect and just know that over time, just by you trying, you will get better. Woo! That was amazing. (laughs) Adding ovation for me. Loves it. Loves it so much. That was really, really good. A standing ovation, but you're sitting. (laughs) Shut up. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> um, 
Thank you so much for being here, Ellen. Um, I just want to acknowledge you for sharing your journey and acknowledge you for how far you've come in your own journey. It's just been amazing to hear, um, you know, how, like, how far, how much you've gone through and, and the amount of work that you've put in to, to be able to be here today to share your story. And I think a lot of women who, or just a lot of people in general who hear this podcast will be able to resonate with your story. And hopefully that inspires them to then reach out to you to help them on their journey of <laughs> towards better health. So Ellen, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you to ask more questions and to engage yeah. you for, their, for help? So um, you can find me on Instagram at ellen.masson at gym. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Ellen. Wow. I'm getting confused. Instagram. <laughs> Ellen, ellen.masson underscore EP. Uh, you can uh, email me, which is just ellen.masson at gmail.com. So that's where I was getting confused. Um, I work at a place called Wellness and Motion. So you can find me on their website as well. And I co-host a podcast with Tate Brown called Into the Red Zone. And we have content on there about weight neutral practice. So if you're interested in that, you can find that on Spotify and iTunes. Woo, woo, woo. Shout out to Tate Brown as well for uh, <laughs> being on Into the Red Zone. Awesome. I'll link all of that um, down in the podcast stuff when i figure out how to do this thing <laughs> i'm still <laughs> nice. new to this stuff but thank you so much again ellen for joining us on this second episode of my podcast we'll probably get you back here again because we have such amazing conversations every <laughs> single time so many truth bombs really appreciate you as a person and thanks so much oh no worries <laughs> thank you for having me thanks for listening everyone bye